I have a very interesting case to share with you today and this case is about a family whereby the couple is slightly higher income and I think they are definitely takeaway points because a lot of the questions they are asking may be something that you are also thinking about. That of course includes housing upgrade, I'll touch on it towards the end. So without further ado, let me pull on some case notes to share with you in this very interactive discussion. Now it starts with, not sure if you can provide a third party advice or not. This actually came in through my email. To protect the identity further, I've concealed more information. But this is not financial advice. I don't have full information. I don't have enough information. In any case, I only provide personalized advice on a one-to-one basis on a fee. But what I want to share is thinking points, critical ideas to let you deliberate better on how to improve and approach your own finances or what are risk to take note of. The couple is age 40 plus. Gross income for husband is 11,500. Gross income for wife is 8,500. That's why the thumbnail 19,000 income. I don't know how to interpret the 2,000 director's fee. So if that is also to be added on, actually their combined income could be 21,000 per month. OA for husband is 40,000 and it's the same for wife. But SA portion, husband has 200K, wife has only 70K. Both their MediSafe account is maxed up to the basic healthcare sum, which is $66,000. Just in case you don't know, basic healthcare sum is when you hit $66,000 for 2022, any surplus will go towards your special account. And if it's full, you'll go towards your OA. So that's how our CPF works. You won't see anybody with $200,000 MediSafe. So if you haven't heard of it, then it's something to learn. And again, smash the like button early because I think there are pointers that you can benefit from. But I would like to challenge, why is the OA amount the same? And it's actually quite little for anyone in 40s. If you have been working throughout, means 40s, you are easily 20 years in career. Most have several hundred thousand dollars already. Maybe it's been used to pay for the house. Maybe they've approached paying the house, which I'll share with you, it's a five-room HDB. Uh, they've approached it with a co-sharing equal amount. That's why the OA left is exactly the same. That could be one reason. But then why is the SA so different? Husband has 200,000, wife has only 70,000. So you see, there are questions like this that come up where I can't quite tie in the picture. If it's fully from income, the earnings uh, part for OA and SA, why is the husband's 200,000 whereas the wife is only 70,000? Or could she have invested her SA? In any case, uh, no need to invest SA, SA gives you 4% ready. Or is this number inaccurate? No, there are points that I like to challenge because usually there are signs. OA grows at a certain pace, SA grows at a certain pace. So I also have to critique whether this information is accurate or not. But let's assume it's accurate. Both of them enjoy stable bonus about two to three months. Maybe it's in a government service, I don't know. But two to three months, if you add on husband's annual income, I've calculated with this gross salary is at least $161,000. Wife's, I don't know, adding business director fee or not, it's about $150,000. So combined income for family, let's put it as $300,000. Now, if you're at a different income level, uh, use this as learning point because they're 40 plus. You could be at a different career stage. So listen and work towards it. Listen and broaden perspective rather than uh, feel any disgruntlement. Oh, how come uh, high income, different income? Uh, don't waste time on that. Spend more time on creating thinking points that can help you build your own finances. Now, let's go on to some details that uh, she's been willing to share with me. They have two kids, one in primary school, one in preschool. So, a bit similar to my situation. I have one in primary school, one in preschool. School fees for preschool is $500. From there, I can guess it's with, with mother's relief and 
uh, in a PCF preschool. Then kid enrichment is $800. If I compare that to against mine, because only my elder one is going for enrichment classes now, I think that's about fair actually, $800. I'm spending $651, but that's only for one kid. So $800 I think is okay. Parents both sides, $1,002. Insurance, $1,005. Now if I compare that to my own insurance costs, my insurance cost is $988 per month. I don't know if there are inefficient plans within their portfolio. No? Are there investment link plans? Are there unnecessary term plans or are there excessively expensive whole life plans? There needs to be something that bumps this up to $1,500 per month because that equates to $18,000 per year. So with a full review, full planning, then these are things we can optimize. Let's move on next to house, food, electricity, and Wi-Fi. $1,000. That is very little. I actually think that could be an underestimate. My gut feeling on things. Because again, there's a helper, correct? Item F. So two adults plus helper, three adults plus two kids, which are even older than mine. I think $1,000 is an underestimate. My gut feeling. Own spending several each, pretty prudent, especially considering their income level. Again, uh, spend when need. Spend for experiences. Don't need to overstinge. At this income level, several each is very prudent. They own a car with petrol insurance cost $1,800. From this, I can guess there's a car loan with it. Maybe I'll pause a bit here. Cars, if you can fully own it, I know COE now is already hundred thousand, but cars that car loan portion is very sticky. You prepay early, there's a penalty cost, unlike mortgage. So cars don't take on the loan. It's even more expensive than mortgage, and uh, that's why I always advocate: if you need to buy a car, fully pay it. If you can't fully pay it, means you are not comfortable with owning it. So why? Because hundred eighty thousand, you need to be ready with that capital, then you buy that. If not, go for a smaller car. If you haven't bought a car, I hope this is a thinking points. Because as you progress in career, there's always lifestyle inflation. Once you buy a small car, you see your friend getting a big uh, SUV. Then you want a big SUV. Then you want a Mercedes. Uh, these things start to creep in. And that's why I've always seen car being a big anchor to a family's uh, approach towards financial freedom. So I think it, 1800 is an underestimate also. Because if I look at my latest bills, petrol cost has gone up quite a bit. I'm spending $850 and mine is already fully paid car. So my guess is this is an underestimate also. Malaysia Investment House, hopefully this can bring in rental income. There's no information on it. In any case, Ringgit has dropped badly. Right now you see, right, Ringgit is all-time high, $3.30 against Sing dollar. Wow, so um, I'm not a fan of buying Malaysia investment property. I go Malacca so often, at least 30 times. I, I'm not kidding you. And uh, I've seen Malacca's property being bid up to 7800 Ringgit per square foot at its peak. 2018-2019 and then now it's crashed to half already not even factoring ringgit depreciation so Malaysian properties unless you are very familiar you have family there I think avoid simplify it uh, it's not true that when you buy overseas properties without ABSD you're gonna make a lot of profits I'm always concerned about regulatory risk ability to manage currency depreciation tax payment $350 for both my gut feeling on this is it's a Oversimplistic rounding figure because quite simply husband at 161,000 estimated annual income at least if I were to pull up the income tax bracket you would see that he would easily sit at the 100 to 120,000 dollars chargeable income if you are new to paying income tax uh, chargeable income means your total income less way reliefs so for wife that's working mother child relief the income tax is very little two kids right Husband usually we have only NS pay 
and we only have a CPF contribution and SRS. They are contributing to SRS. So only that to remove off, I suspect he's actually paying closer to about 7,000 per year, which is definitely more than 250 per month on average. Could they have used an average? I, I'm not really sure because the wife's side wouldn't be 350 if there's two children on board for her and if she's also making other contributions. Take note again, if you're also a working mother, there's a cap, 80,000 relief limit. So if you're a high-income mom with two kids, three kids, uh, don't need to contribute to RSTU, Retirement Subtopic Up, or SRS really. You have not benefited from tax relief. This suggests that their total monthly expenses is $9,900. I suspect there are underestimates all over the place. I think a better ballpark figure could be about 11000 per month which is still pretty okay considering their earning, like what I mentioned, 19000 or 21000 So there is still a 40% savings rate kind of a situation. So still okay, still very prudent in a lot of ways. So again, when you're listening to here, check back on your personal expenses. Where have you been spending? Look at your savings rate. And you can create a picture of what has happened, which is what I'm going to do in a quick while. And you can project where you'll be in 5 years, in 10 years. Now let's see where they've built up in terms of assets. They are staying in HDB Fed 5 room, balance loan of $170,000. I don't know whether it's HDB loan or bank loan. In any case, if it's not a fixed bank loan, why not pay off the CPF and go and clear off that loan and reduce it even further. So that's my first take. Emergency cash $170,000, why is it sitting there? Uh, is it in Singapore Savings Bond at least? Or why not also go and pay down the HDB loan? So these are inefficiencies that straight off I, I would seriously consider. Then there's also share investment of $70,000. Considering both are higher income and at this phase closer to retirement, I think $70,000 as a feedback at age 40 plus is very, very thin. Why do I say so? Because if you look in terms of this finding by DBS, they've mentioned before household assets on average, 40% plus is towards property. And then there are other assets, correct? But their picture is very lopsided towards property. That in itself uh, is an over-concentration because there's no guarantee Singapore properties will do well in the next 10, 20, 30 years, especially when we're facing this part. They first mentioned SRS 50,000 each. For the wife, there's no need to contribute to SRS already. But again, it seems like the details are not accurate because there's no reason to contribute both also, both sides also, when working mother child relief has affected. In any case, uh, it could also be that husband's income has stepped up this year. So that is another explanation as to why they haven't been contributing that much to SRS uh, across the years. Coming to here, let me critique on some portions because questions are coming up, correct? Is there any opportunity to save on family expenses? I'll take that question. Why not? We flip back to what we see in terms of here. The only thing I'll suggest is Malaysia property. Is there a need to keep it? Could we divest it? Tax probably underestimate. Car costs, probably underestimate. House food, it actually probably underestimate. It, they are pretty prudent already. The problem is in maximizing the cash to invest and build financial assets for retirement. So the problem is not really on high expenses, not saving well. The problem is now with this income level and this good savings ratio, how to build financial assets because property is not the only way to grow wealth. Which leads to the second question. Shall we sell the HDB and buy private to upgrade or take private property as a form of saving investment while staying? And if B is recommended, what is the recommended property price? We check we can loan up to $2.2 million 
which means they can probably take up a property which is 2.8 to 3 million dollars in quantum assuming they have the capital now you've listening so far i guess you have questions on property also so let me invite you to leave in the comment sections i have a particular biasness against properties right now in this market cycle i'll i'll share with you up front i'm not bullish on properties i think we've increased over the last two years three years very aggressively and government is stepping in with cooling measures in previous episodes we've touched on government is now cooling the hdb side and everything is a feedback loop when you cool hdb there are few upgraders with big budgets to private sector it cools expectations are a loop it's not like cool hdb private sector is not affected i don't think that's true everything is loop private property uh, buyers buy hdb they inflate here this upgraders inflate that side it's a loop government is curtailing that loop and i think with higher interest rates there is going to be a sentiment shift let me show you some numbers if you are thinking about this situation take note again they can take a 2.2 million dollar loan and for simplicity let me use a case study what if they buy a 2.8 million dollar property which means 75 percent they can loan correct until age of 65 that means the total loan is 2.1 million within their max limit can do then 700,000 of deposit if they sell the hdb if they chuck in all in their cpf and emergency cash and sell away their shares i think there's a chance they can cover up 700,000. so it's possible that they can buy that a 2.8 million dollar property and then take a loan of 2.1 million dollars now coming to here let me show you some numbers as to why very often we have underestimated the difficulty in making profits from property because when we sell our property we think hey there's an appreciation there's a profit level i buy at four thousand i sell at five hundred thousand that's a profit not necessarily true this chart is very useful to explain certain costs the first i'd like to share with you is this concept of interest costs in this computation we put in 2.1 million dollars of loan and then interest rate of 3.1 percent 3.1 percent is it unreasonable not true i've gotten my recent uh cyborg rates from rhb and that is 3.1 something percent and it is escalating further even so 3.1 percent is not necessarily an exaggeration if the loan tenant is 20 because to age of 65 are correct what is the monthly payment monthly payment is 11,752. so for this situation for this couple this is going to be a big bite on your overall you have almost no more savings already be very careful of course you can consider stretching the loan with refinancing and stuff you can game the system a bit but the truth is you still need to fully pay off the property at some point in time if you want to stay there long term that's one the other thing that's frequently missed out is the cost of taking up a loan if we were to look 3.1 percent the total cost for a 2.1 million dollar loan in 10 years is five hundred and twenty-four thousand dollars. wow this is total interest cost over 10 years if you assume that it does not factor in your p l you're you are you're not approaching the game correctly not just that you also have buyer stamp duty that's assuming they sell away the hdb and upgrade fully to this 2.8 million dollar three beta four beta what that means is that the buyer stamp duty i've calculated already for first one million is three percent less five thousand four hundred after one million is four percent so the total that buyer stamp duty is ninety six thousand six hundred dollars with the buyer stamp duty and the interest factor in the break-even selling price drum rolls let me give it already 3.42 million in year 2032 you buy a 2.8 million dollar property 
2032 try to sell it 3.4 million you already lose money you need to sell at 3.42 million and you have not made any money you have just merely used it as a savings vehicle is that very attractive is that wealth building not necessarily right? you just put in cpf it really builds your wealth so that dispels the question it's probably a good savings vehicle depends on market situation and depends on the eventual selling price maybe at 2032 it's worth four million dollars then yes you have made quite some money but i'd like to highlight that there is a break-even point that it shouldn't be underestimated very often we have recency bias we've seen the properties appreciated strongly in the last few months we assume in the last few years we assume it will perpetually go up take note again dbs has highlighted a few problems firstly dbs has mentioned this research paper is that properties may no longer be the best asset class moving forward and it's a public research i'll try to leave links below if you're curious about it they mentioned that relying on property alone may not be enough to retire well because why if you over concentrate on property your pie is skewed and if you use it as a homestay there is no cash flow unless you are looking to rent out rooms that impacts your privacy second changing demographics and overall demand for homes cannot be assumed to be strong because we are facing a aging population which means 20 years later we have less people that can take up loan correct it's a possibility not that we can use immigration to balance things but there is a risk that home price appreciation might curtail off increase in property prices also depends on salary growth right now salary growth is strong on the ground because post-covid right, we have a lot of expats not coming out of singapore there's a lot of salary growth i've covered before on this channel on previous discussions but that salary growth in 2020 2021 may not be the same moving forward for 2023 if we were to see a recession and not just that let me highlight a biggest risk this is actually a median salary finding by labor force what can we realize from this okay of course firstly they are earning above median they are earning above median salary which is good i also wish that for you while you're listening in but the bigger takeaway point is that most of us on average peak out at 40 to 44 correct right this has been consistent across years somehow which means now you're seeing a pay rise you are comfortable or on the other hand if you are past 40s you realize that there's every tendency of salary starting to drop that's why we hear of pmet's being retrenched and unable to find an equivalent job it is the reality it's not going to happen to everybody that's true depends on personal skill set and career development but if we were to see an average the peak for income is in 40 to 44 so my question to you listening is if you were to take up a 2.1 million dollar loan max loan at this age segment and if your income starts to dip in later years how are you going to comfortably afford it there is a risk correct will you be forced to downgrade again it depends on property cycle i've shown you that the property needs to appreciate by a certain percentage just to overcome interest and buyer stamp duty so take note again the concept of using property store wealth is not correct you might as well use cpf for example, her case, she has 70,000 in CPS special account. Why not top it up to 192,000 full retirement sum for this year? It will bring 4% per annum rate. If property is for homestay, then that's a different issue. It's not really for storing wealth. You can comfortably afford it. You upgrade, then that's fine. That's something I wish for everybody. So using this case, let's put our 335 formula to the test. 335 means that you at least have 30% of the initial down payment available on hand. The other three stands for one third of monthly income should be used for only property. That's much more prudent than the total debt servicing ratio. And last but not least, five times of annual income. 
So in that case, if you have taken a loan, which is 11,000, it's definitely going to breach that one third of monthly income because combined income is 21,000. 11,000 is probably slightly above 50% even. Then what about for $2.8 million property, five times of annual income that will have breached it. That will actually be closer to nine times of annual income. So coming to here, my suggestion on this situation is to possibly cap the property purchase to $1.5 million and below. If affordability is okay, there's spare cash flow built into CPF, you get a stable stream, buy financial assets, build up a portfolio that can give you dividend income. So these are things that I think would be a much more sensible approach to upgrading and also balancing the act of getting enough for retirement. So hopefully you benefited from this discussion and as always, leave your questions in the comment sections. Smash a like, smash a subscribe because I'll be doing podcasts on this channel to share with you financial ideas and with that, I'd like to do a shout out to an event also that I'm doing. This is the Josh Tan Finance Summit. I'd like to touch on properties, I'd like to touch on investments, I'd like to touch on retirement planning because these are things that I think on a one-to-one basis, if you'd like to meet up, that is an event that I hope to deliver to the masses and help everybody gear up towards financial freedom. With that, I'll sign up from here. Thank you for listening in. As always, I'll see you next one. Goodbye.